to the Colby Daniels Podcast. We've got a big show today as we get ready for another big weekend of college football. Oklahoma trying to bounce back from just a horrible loss against Kansas State last week. They've got Iowa State this week. Uh, If you remember last year, it was Iowa State following the Kansas State game, and that was a game that if Brock Purdy throws it to the right guy in the end zone, we're talking about another upset in Norman and, and luckily for the Sooners, Brock Purdy didn't make the right decision and Oklahoma escaped with the W last year. But I think this is going to be a really interesting game under the lights in Ames, Iowa. And we'll see if the Sooners bounce back. Maybe more question marks about this Oklahoma team than we've had in a long time. This is probably one of the best sports weeks that we've ever had. And I don't say that lightly when you consider we've had three or four days of Major League Baseball with teams basically in elimination games. We've had game one of the NBA Finals getting ready for that to continue. And certainly the Lakers were incredibly dominant in the first game. Uh, football has, has just been amazing and crazy and everything we kind of thought it would be with the lack of a normal you know, preseason buildup to what we're watching right now. So, uh, so much going on. We'll talk about it all. Jared Stansberry from CycloneFanatic.com is going to join us at the end of this thing and give us a little preview of the Iowa State side of things. But right now, I want to welcome in a very special guest, a friend. You know him as Mr. Davis. He is Aaron Davis. Aaron, I've got something for you. I felt like that was fitting. <laughs> there we go. Uh, glad to be back on here. Uh, I don't know that I would say I'm a special guest, but a guest, sure. I mean, you're special to me. Well, th- I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the I'm the guy that you invite to the house if you've got like 30 other people coming. Like, yeah, yeah, you got to have a buffer there, right? So, but look, you're 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 the opener in this thing. I could have I, I could have gone with the Iowa State guy first and brought you in later, but. I chose to open this thing with you. I appreciate that. Batting leadoff. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're the Mookie bets. Well, are you paying me like Mookie? Because, I mean, that, that changes things. You're the charity version of Mookie bets. Okay. Mickey bets. Mickey bets. Mickey bots. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on, man? How have you, how have you been? Uh, doing okay. Just slaving away to the to the work world, trying to... Get money to pay the bills. I hear you. I really haven't done anything, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I actually, uh, I have have a side gig going now, and I I haven't even told anybody about this, so this is kind of like the the grand announcement. I have a COVID test today so that I can do this job that I got hired for. I have been hired as an extra in the movie Reagan filming in Guthrie, Oklahoma, starring Dennis Quaid. Uh oh, yeah. Gotta, okay, that's big time. Yeah, I've been putting out casting calls to the weakest link, and uh, the Price is Right. <laughs> Same my audition tapes. That's cool, though. Yeah, that's no, fine. I'm I'm actually excited, just really to just go do something and and kind of like be a part of this world that I'm unfamiliar with, and I I just think it'll be cool to just kind of witness like how it all goes down. But uh, yeah, I'm I they so they hired me once, and then. I didn't get some information in time as far as what I needed to, to make it happen, and it kind of fell through the cracks, and then uh, I missed out on the opportunity. I got a second chance and got hired again, and I've got to go get a COVID test today. And if I'm, if I'm COVID negative, I've got to get another COVID test on Monday. And if I'm COVID negative on the second test, then we film, I think, later in the week, next week. So 
Uh, they told me not to shave, not to get a haircut. They're going to, like, I guess, style me the way that they want me styled for the 1980s. And uh, I look, I, I, the only thing I want out of this is an IMDb page when it's all said and done. Like, that's all I want. I know a guy that's got some acting reels on YouTube that you might want to study. <laughs> Ask for some advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but staying at home. Okay. So they want you to stay at home, not shave and don't get a haircut. Yeah. Seems pretty doable. Uh, look, I mean, you know, a lot of jobs, you need a certain amount of experience to be able to do that. And over the last six months, I feel like I've done a good job of staying at home, not shaving and not getting haircuts. So I'm qualified for this position. Uh, well, there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Just do what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Nothing changes. Yeah, just just keep being a homebody and watching sports and doing nothing. So anyway, dude, how crazy has this week been from a from a sports standpoint? You know, you think about the NBA finals, MLB playoffs, which I've I was pretty annoyed by the playoffs, just expanding like I don't know, just irritated me. I didn't care about the wild card round, but uh, it's been good. That Padres Cardinals game was a lot of fun last night. Tatis is an absolute beast. Uh, probably going to win a couple MVPs at this pace, the way he's going. Uh, NFL, look, NFL has been better than I expected. Uh, you know, no preseason, you know, short camps. I thought it'd be pretty, pretty terrible the first couple weeks, but it's been fun. Finally getting some like good college football matchups this week. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, been watching more sports than I have. Not only because there's more sports on, but like I, my interest is just starting to pick back up uh, from the lull. Like it took me a second to get back into like the sports world and like the interest of like sitting down for three hours and watching a game. But it's a lot of fun. So I cannonballed back into things as soon as everything launched. Like when the NBA and Major League Baseball both kind of started at the same time. Like from that point on, I've been geeked on on all of it. So I've I've watched nearly everything that's happened. But when you consider the last week, I've watched two UFC title fights. We saw the Stanley Cup won. What was that, Monday? Yeah, earlier this week. Tampa Bay won, right? Yeah, yeah. Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup this week. We watched how many playoff games, and especially when you add the the element of elimination playoff games in, in Major League Baseball, we've watched one game in the NBA Finals, on Monday night, we got to see the, mo- the two most fun teams in the NFL and the last two NFL MVPs at quarterback go head-to-head in a-, a terrific game. Like, we saw two top 10 teams in college football get upset last Saturday. It, this, I mean, over the last seven days, sports has been just absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's almost overwhelming. It is. It because- really is. But you just, there's just not enough time. You got to pick and choose. Like either you watch the NBA Finals, or you watch Monday Night Football, yeah. or either you watch you know the last game of the Stanley Cup Finals, or you watch you know Major League Baseball play. Like there's it's too much. It's it's overwhelming. I see why uh, they spread it out. Yeah. I, I'm I, I'm kind of looking forward to next year. Hopefully, when we you know I can just focus on the NBA Finals. I can just focus on Major League Baseball playoffs. But still, it's better than not having sports by far. I, I don't know that I would want this every year, but it's it's been kind of fun trying to get it all in. I've certainly not been able to watch everything I've wanted to watch. Uh, and, and I've joked about this so many times, and people are probably tired of hearing me say it, but l- like it's a real thing. Every day I wake up and I look at the sports schedule and what all is happening on any given day, 
And like, I, I legitimately feel FOMO. Like when I look at all the stuff that's going on at the same time and I'm like, how am I going to watch all of this? And, and I've managed to get the majority of it in, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I, it's, it can absolutely be overwhelming for sure. Yeah. I mean, last night I, for whatever reason, picked Thursday night football on the big screen and had, you know, baseball on my phone, but even that, I was just like, I, I can't, I can't focus enough on these two games. Yeah, who right. didn't want to see it's Brett fun. Rippon and Joe Flacco duel it out for a period of time? Look, on paper, terrible teams. On TV, on the field, terrible teams. The yeah. game wasn't that bad. At least it was competitive. It was better than, you know, one team winning by 30. Yeah, that's true. No, it, I mean, it, from an entertainment standpoint and a competitive standpoint, it it had highs and lows and, and came down to the end, so... There's that. And I had Melvin Gordon, and I got a garbage-time touchdown at the very end for my fantasy team, so I was pretty happy with that. Well, there you go. See, at least something worked out for somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's Okay, let's jump into college football first. Um, Oklahoma, what a disaster. And this is kind of something we've seen in the past. We've seen the letdowns, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the the inability to run the football to me is a glaring issue that you know maybe adds another dimension to the question marks with this Oklahoma team as opposed to previous Oklahoma teams. Where are you with the Sooners? Because I, I I'm certainly more concerned about what this team is not capable of because we know on the high end they could be really good, but what this team is right now compared to where they've been in the past. I don't know that there, for me, is one thing that I can absolutely hang my hat on about this team and just know, like, they're going to be okay in this department. Because right now, again, I think there are issues with the offensive line. There's issues with establishing the run game. I would probably say Spencer Rattler is that for me, even though he didn't particularly play great. I mean, there, there were a few bad throws. Otherwise, he, he was really good. But... There, to me, there are just more unknowns right now about this Oklahoma team than, than we've ever seen. Oh, we, we know something. The defense is terrible. I mean, we know that. Yeah. So you can hang your hat on, you know, every Saturday that they're probably going to give up 30-plus points. Well, but... and thanks to last year, everybody kind of was able to maybe bring their expectations up a little bit because in prior years, that shouldn't be possible. There shouldn't be a thing where... It's like, oh, the defense is worse than I thought. Because how do you, you know, you should have the lowest of low expectations for the defense. And then the improvement last year, I think, kind of brought everybody up a little bit. And then you realize, no, there's still a basement. Which we've had this conversation for the past, what? I mean, honestly, Sooner fans have probably been having this conversation for the last 10 years. Like, why? It just doesn't make sense why they can't put together an average defense and the defense was they were decent last year they were a lot better than they had been the previous couple of years and everybody was buying Alex Grinch like oh Alex Grinch is gonna be a next head coach possible like it, it's still possible and they you know they're missing Ronnie Perkins which is a big deal if you don't have your best pass rusher uh out there playing that's gonna show a lot of weaknesses in the secondary which they at no point did I feel like last year that they really fixed the secondary. They were just getting better pressure with Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins. And that front seven was playing a lot better. They don't have Perkins. They don't have Gallimore. uh, They don't have Kenneth Murray. Like they lost a lot of key players in that front seven that really held them together last year. But I just, I don't know. Is it a systemic thing? Is it just like 
the attitude that they can't they can't put that defensive mindset out there on the field with that with their group any year. I don't know what it is. And then offensively, they don't have their top two running backs. They don't have Stevenson and Kennedy Brooks, obviously. So, like, as good as Seth McGowan looks, he's a freshman. Like, you can't expect him to be the guy. You can't expect him to be Adrian Peterson. Like, that's just completely unrealistic expectations. So, yeah, I mean, they were due for a year where they don't make the college football playoffs. They are probably due for a year where they don't win the Big 12 or, like, they at least struggle to win the Big 12. And this year makes sense freshman you know redshirt freshman at quarterback they don't have that skill position player that they can go to late in the game like a cd lamb or rodney anderson uh the second half of the season of 2017 they just i think this is just the year where they don't put everything together offensively where everything isn't easy like they it's just gonna be a year where maybe they lose two games and kansas state beat them last year beat them last week i don't know maybe climbing too is just lincoln riley's kryptonite yeah, I, look, I, I think that you look at the conference and despite whatever issues Oklahoma might have, I, I think it's fair to say, well, everybody has issues right now. There's not a team in the Big 12 that looks like they have it figured out. So, you know, I, I think you can give Oklahoma that excuse, but everybody else is under that same umbrella. Um, I get that you're not going to make the college football playoff every year. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said even this summer... I really felt like Oklahoma was a year away. The 2021 team was probably going to be more built from an experience standpoint to make a legitimate run. But when you consider no Pac-12, the Big Ten kind of coming into things late, and and just everybody not really being able to prepare for the season the way that they would like to, you would you would think that teams like Oklahoma, like Alabama, like Clemson, uh, that that recruited a pretty high level would just have a natural built-in advantage over everybody else uh, to you know just let athletes be athletes and uh, that game on Saturday was crazy man they they completely fell apart in every single aspect of the game special teams offense defense penalties I even thought you know the the fourth down thing to punt late in the game like coaching it it, it all was really shocking to see basically Oklahoma implode in every single department. I, I did like that, at least to my knowledge, as much as I can remember, feeling like it was for the first time Lincoln Riley was legitimately pissed off after a loss, at least openly to the media. And, you know, if Lincoln Riley is kind of talking like he's frustrated with the performance of his team, which he usually doesn't do, he'll, he's always been the guy that's going to defend his guys. But... I mean, that's, I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I like that he's pissed off because it shows that at least the coaching staff is motivated to fix the problems, but it also shows that, you know, it might maybe for the first time since Lincoln Riley took over as head coach, he feels like that he has problems that aren't going to just fix themselves. Did you see Alex Grinch after the game and any of his media availability? No, I didn't. Same thing? No, actually, he looks defeated. I mean, what can you do? From a, I mean, I mean and, and maybe he's not. I'm just saying, and who wouldn't feel defeated after that performance uh, right. defensively? But, like, just the vibe I got from him, and this could be completely wrong. I, I'm just, you know, giving you my my opinion based on, like, his body language and, and all of that, and so take it for what it's worth. But he very much looked like a guy that was defeated and just, like, hands in the air. And I think he actually said something along the lines of, I don't know how to fix this. If I did, it wouldn't be happening. 
Like I mean, you're playing Kansas State and you're giving up 50 yard plays yeah. one after another. Right. Like I don't like. There's only so much as a coach you can do. Like the the dudes just have to make plays, and I don't know if they're pressing, trying to make plays like too much to it's, and trying to make plays. Yeah, it's it's shocking. just backfiring. But it's been the problem. It's been the same problem for the last five years, at least since I've been covering the team. Year after year, they bring in top level dudes, like five star recruits, four star recruits, and like you're thinking, okay, this is the group of guys that they're gonna fix it. They're gonna get this, get back to that, you know, two thousands uh, Rufus Alexander, that Curtis Lofton, you know, Derek Strait, like elite level defense, and it's just it's not working. And I know it's more difficult to play consistent like top level defense in the big 12 with the way the offenses are spreading out and the way that the, you know, they're playing, but I mean, still, I mean, damn, like something has to improve. They're, they're bringing in two good players on paper out of high school for them to be this bad against teams like Kansas state, a Kansas state team that barely, they they weren't even sure they were going to play the game halfway through the week. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, Kansas state has five brand new offensive linemen. That's not All five of their it. offensive linemen are new starters, and and should, yeah, yeah, and and this is oh, a well. year where I mean you need two things with an offensive line: you need physicality, and you need chemistry. And when you don't have the ability to practice leading up to a season, you're not able to get the the physicality down, and you're not able to develop chemistry. And Oklahoma still just couldn't dominate that battle. They had one sack and six quarterback hurries. You should sack that guy yeah. seven times if you're playing five offensive linemen that have played they they one game. They had played one game before they did play. One game. And you couldn't get more than one sack. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. Like it usually you could say that the coaching needs to fix it, but it's just been it's been too consistently bad for it to be a coaching issue. They've changed coaches. And Grinch, I he, he seems like he knows what he's doing to me. Yeah, I was asked, I, I, I did a, a radio hit last night in Ames, Iowa to kind of preview this game from the Oklahoma side of things. And I was asked the question, at this point, do you have to consider like it's a deep-rooted, like psychology type thing with the guys on that side of the football? And And I don't know how you argue against that, right? Like it's almost like they've been so bad for so long that like mentally... Anybody that joins that side of the ball and plays for that group somehow just develops this, like, inability to, like, comprehend that side of the ball playing well. Or, I, I don't so, know. I don't know what it is. It's so bizarre, though. Especially in the secondary. Yeah. When's the last good defensive back they had? Zach Sanchez made plays, at least. I mean, he, he gave up big plays, too, but he would at least be good for five or six interceptions in a season. But I know I mean, Parnell Motley had his struggles, but last year he was really good. He was really good. Yeah. But yeah. that could have been helped by the fact that they were able to get some pressure. Yeah. No, the, but, I mean, that's yeah, fair. I, obviously every defensive back is better when they don't have to cover for right. 25 seconds. <laughs> exactly. He was Motley was good last year, Yeah. but I mean, Buki is a guy that and I think Buki is just, it's at the point where he is what he is. He's not going to be yeah. that five-star guy, that shutdown corner. I, it, I, I'm not going to say it's because he's too small. I think he's just that instinctually in the past coverage. It's just not what you need it to be at this level. And then, I, I, I don't know, man. It's, it is. It has to be a, a mental thing. It has to be some mental block that they just can't get through because physically, I mean, they're there. They're, they're top-level recruits, and they, they need to produce better, but 
it, it's just not happening. And I think that it is. I think it's they've been so bad for so long that these guys come in freshman year, they're terrible. Sophomore year, they're they're not good. Junior year, they're still struggling. And then senior year, they're still struggling. Like I, I think it just some guys like Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray, they can get through that. But as a whole, like just putting them, grouping them all together, they're just not getting through that mental block. And I, I don't know how you change it. Like I really don't know how you fix a systemic like issue on one side of the ball. Yeah, look, it's it feels like from a confidence standpoint, they are very, very fragile. And I, they played a hell of a first half. I mean, they were tremendous in the first half. They were everything we thought they should be in the first half, you know, minus that one drive. And and again, in 2020, like it's it to think that anybody's going to pitch a shutout is crazy, right? Even against a team right. like Kansas State, like they have enough good players that, that they're going to figure out something somewhere along the way. I, I, I didn't anticipate that they were going to shut Kansas State out. So the one scoring drive they had in the first half, okay, they had one scoring drive and the rest of the half, the OU defense was terrific. It, it's just this this inability to get beat and bounce back. It's like once they get beat, it you know it, they're so fragile that it just becomes kind of a, a landslide type thing. And Lincoln Riley kind of talked about, I believe he talked about it, but uh, kind of taking their foot off the gas late in the game and it kind of letting it slip away. And maybe maybe part of the issue with the mentality side is that for the last three years the season has worked out just fine for OU. Like everything has worked out in the end. And so maybe they're going out there with this mentality that like, you know, we don't need to play every snap. Like we're about to lose this game. Like you have a mulligan. Could lose this. Like you have a right every year. It's worked out. They've lost it. They've blown a game. They should have won in the middle of the season. Luckily this one was only in the second game, but it's a shorter season. So it could still have the same weight as losing in week six or week seven, but they still get in the playoffs. They get killed in the playoffs by a better team, like an LSU who knows that, or an Alabama or a Clemson, where they're thinking, we can't lose. Like, we have to win every game because we're in a tougher conference. We can't just steamroll through seven of the 70% of this conference. So, I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe the the lack of strength in the conference kind of puts this, this mental state in the defense where we don't necessarily need to do everything every game. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's that's completely true. And I would even add to that when you consider what the offense has been. I mean, they've had incredible offenses to the point that, like, literally, as long as you can get one or two stops, you're probably yeah. winning every game un- until you get to the, the big level. But even then, I mean, if you get one or two stops... Um, you know you're you're, you're probably going to be competitive. Th- those offenses have been unbelievable, uh, and and that's kind of been the safety net that the defense has. Op- I mean, when last year you you took away the element of being as dynamic as Oklahoma's offense had been under Baker and Kyler, and the offense was still really good with Jalen Hurts, but I think we all could see that there wasn't the same. You know, we can go score 21 points in three minutes and hit big plays in the passing game and all, and do all the same things that they had done in the past with Jalen Hurts at the helm, it kind of felt like the defense was forced to be better because they knew there wasn't that element. Again, they were still going to score points and, and they still had a lot of success, but they weren't as dynamic as they had been in the past. And and we saw the defense step up in a big way. Immediately, when, I, when Spencer Rattler is back on the football field, it feels like the same offense under Baker and Kyler and you kind of unlock 
every quadrant of the field again. It just kind of feels like you can do about anything you want to do, and you can call about anything you want to call with that guy taking the snaps because of his arm ability. And and maybe some of that, again, it goes back to, well, you know, we're, we're going to be really good offensively. The offense is going to bail us out. We only need to get a couple stops, and we'll be good. It would be hard to not in some way, even if you're not consciously thinking that, in, in my opinion, it would be hard for that not to be a thought somewhere in your mind. It, it's like the defense has been playing Monopoly and they've got 20 get-out-of-jail-free cards in their pocket. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I think, too, something last year that would be said for that defense is in each position group, they had a senior that was finally stepping up and, like, being that guy, and they don't have that this year. They don't, I mean... They got upperclassmen, obviously, but they just don't have. I mean, first off, the leadership that Kenneth Murray had in that defense—I I don't know how easily that is to be to be replaced. And you know, I'm not in the press conferences. I'm not hearing you know the way the guys talk about the team. I don't know if they have that guy on defense right now. Uh, Neville Gallimore is another guy that just his game went from from you know B minus to A in the course of his junior to senior year, he became an impact player. Parnell Motley, the same thing. Like you just had these seniors that you were able to rely on when you needed them to make plays, you know, nine times out of 10 last season. And so far it's only two games, you know, things can change, but they just, they don't have those guys that you can trust. And, you know, it's, these are kids too. So there's men, you know, the mentality thing is absolutely a thing when they're these dudes in the NFL. I don't think that it's, you can make the, you know, they're in their own head excuse as much, but they're 19, 20 year old kids. Like they're just like every other 20 year old kid for the most part. It's tough. Like this is, this yeah. is just be a thing. I think where it's not going to fix until they get a whole new group in at every position on the defense. Like they just need a whole reset and maybe in five years they get back to, you know, the defense that everybody expects them to be. Traditionally, Oklahoma has been really good at bouncing back from a loss a year ago, they lose to Kansas State, and then the next time they played was that thriller in Norman against Iowa State where, again, it was 42-41. Iowa State scores the late touchdown. They go for two. Brock Purdy has an open receiver. If he hits him, Iowa State wins the game. He throws it into coverage, and I think it was actually Parnell Motley uh, that that you know kind of wrestled the ball away, um, and, and Oklahoma escapes with the W. I, I kind of feel like this is going to be a really good football game. I, I feel like it's going to be anybody's ball game late. I would lean toward Oklahoma winning and pulling it out, but to just automatically think that Oklahoma is going to bounce back and, and just roll Iowa State to me is a little bit crazy at this point because I feel like Iowa State is very much capable of doing everything that Kansas State was able to do to frustrate the Sooners. Honestly, like I, I don't know that I would pick Iowa State – just because, I mean, Lincoln, I Lincoln Riley factor, like, and I, you know, um, brain fart, uh, Campbell, Matt Campbell, yeah, head coach at Iowa State, Matt Campbell, yeah, he great coach. So, but I, I trust Lincoln Riley to rebound after a loss. I mean, go to back to the Bob Stoops era. Oklahoma's always been great after a loss, but Iowa State's got experience that that OU just doesn't have right now, and I don't know how these guys on offense. Are going to rebound they don't have Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray they don't have CeeDee Lamb uh they don't have a great unit on the offensive line just yet um they just I, I don't know I, I don't know if they have that go-to guy on offense like I said a minute ago that is going to step up when they just lost last week 
Yeah, look, we saw Kansas State play two high safeties all game long, and, and really in the second half, they took away Oklahoma's ability to go over the top. They took away Oklahoma's ability to really push the ball down the field. Uh, Oklahoma couldn't establish the run game, which Iowa State, I, I would imagine, is going to be better in that department. And and the third and final thing is they tackle incredibly well in space. I mean, something that's been true of Iowa State, I feel like, for like five years is they always tackle well. I mean, it's it's just like one it of those one. things. Like when you when you read bullet points about every team in this league, like one of the bullet points for Iowa State is they tackle well. So if you can't go over the top in the passing game, you can't establish the run game, and you're trying to do a lot of you know quick get guys the ball in space type stuff against Iowa State, you know that may, maybe you hit some big ones, but uh, I, I don't know that you can count on that all game long because again, Iowa State gets a lot of credit for how well they tackle guys in in one on one positions. It's crazy how much of a difference just being disciplined makes on defense because you can't tell me that Iowa State has better athletes in that on that defense than right. Oklahoma does. Yeah. But they're significantly better and more consistent just because they're more disciplined. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. They, you know, they don't have... Rarely do you see an Iowa State team just blowing coverages, uh, missing tackles, like... And they're not world beaters. Sometimes they just get beat. Uh, but it's it's rarely them beating themselves. And, you know, Oklahoma's defense certainly can just get beat sometimes. We all understand that. But it, it, you know, more often than not, it's almost them beating themselves. Like, make the opponent beat you, which is more, you know, Iowa State's more than capable of beating that Oklahoma defense without the defense helping them. Which I don't don't think that Kansas State necessarily beat Oklahoma's defense last week. It just a lot of blown coverages, missed tackles, big plays. If you're giving a big play after big play, that's not the other team beating you every time. Well, it was, yeah, on the, uh, on what it was a back to back possessions, you had a 77 yard run and a 78 yard run. Those weren't, if you're giving up seven, yeah, yeah. 70 yard runs aren't accidents. Well, and, and Rufus and I were talking about this earlier in the week. The final three scoring drives from Iowa State. I think were 39, 39, and 28 or something like that yards. Like they were also in position down the yeah. stretch where they had yeah. short fields and, and didn't have to go the distance. One of them, a block punt doesn't help, you know, turnover. Yeah, it's, yeah. they just, Oklahoma on every facet of the ball in that second half just gave the game away, like you said a few minutes ago. Yeah. How do you feel about the Big 12 in general? Uh, I think it's pretty terrible. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's very good. Uh, Oklahoma State has... Their defenses look fine, given they played Tulsa and uh, West Virginia, who West Virginia by no means was coming into the season expecting to win anything. But they've only scored 43 points. Texas has scored 122, which in comparison, Texas has scored 80 more points than than OSU through two games. But... Their defense hasn't looked great. They struggled against Tech. I I think that maybe we're looking at Oklahoma, Texas, and maybe Oklahoma State if Gundy can get the offense figured out. But, you know, Dave Aranda, I, I think he's a good coach, but I don't expect him to do what Matt Rule did last year with Baylor. I expect them to take a dip down, and then everybody under Baylor at four. I, I think Iowa State's probably there. Iowa State's probably there between with Baylor four and five, but – you know, six through ten, I think they're all terrible. I don't think any of them are going to win more than five games. Yeah, it's. I mean, look, it's. You're talking about Baylor, new coach, completely rebuilding the defense. They lost nine of eleven starters defensively. 
and they weren't dynamic offensively anyway a year ago. Um, yeah, West Virginia, like you said, is is what they are. Um, Kansas, Kansas State, uh, you know, Tech, uh, TCU. Um, nobody really expects anything from, as far as making a legitimate run in the league, nobody expects any of those teams to be in that conversation. Iowa State, you know, again, was one of those teams that I feel like going into the season, you thought maybe they have an outside chance of, of competing and it's kind of the, the same sort of issues with them. But, I mean, to I, the game Saturday is really fun to me because I feel like both teams already, it's only game three, but both teams have a lot of urgency. I mean, both teams have already lost a yeah. game. And, you know, under the lights, in Ames, like that's, this is a big football game. I, I almost think that this year might be a good year for Oklahoma to lose two games just to kind of get the, you know, the way that they performed in the semifinals every time they've been there, other than the Rose Bowl against Georgia, which even they blew that game. So that's kind of a, you know, something you want to forget about, but kind of lose two games this year. You know, you still want to win the big 12, but just take a step back for a minute and like get the expectations where, where they should be. And just a, just a reset. I think that Oklahoma is a program and the expectations with the fan base just kind of need it. They kind of need a reset. They've just, they've been spoiled over the past five years. You're saying and, just lose enough that we remove all expectations for what they should achieve next year. Right. Like if, if this, if you get into the playoffs with this team, they're going to lose by 70. Like the, the team last year, other than the quarterback position was probably why well, the offensive line was probably the best team they've had in the Lincoln Riley era. Well, I mean, the, the offensive of the line is basically the same group. Right. So I think you should, so, I mean, so naturally this should group better. should be better. Yeah. Right. But I was just saying like last year's wasn't 2018 offensive right. line by any means, right. but I think as a whole on both sides of the ball last year, that was probably the most complimentary team they had. And they got absolutely obliterated by Joe Burrow and LSU. Imagine if this team gets in the playoffs with, with one loss. A lot could change. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot to a long fix. way to go, but yeah. But they just—they don't have the, the get-out-of-jail-free card with the uh, with the guarantee that the offense is going to keep you in ball games right now. Right, and we don't know how we don't know if Spencer Rattler can be that late-game guy. Yeah, like it didn't work last week. It didn't lead him back to a, lead him to a win last week in a close game. But I, I think probably Texas is probably my favorite right now. I, I think that they just have the experience at the quarterback position. Sam Ellinger has looked really good through two games, and I think that. Like most years with OU, I think their defense can be good enough that their offense is going to win them a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's anybody's league. It's it's up for grabs, without a doubt. I, I would say this about Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler is at the very bottom of my concern list. Like, in terms of, oh, of, okay. of all of the stuff that happened on Saturday and everything that, like, needs to be discussed that could potentially be an issue, Spencer Rattler is at the very bottom. Like, he's... He, we saw it for, for, you know, most of the game. He was really good. There were a few passes that, that weren't good throws. And certainly, you know, he was put in a bad situation, I think, when Oklahoma punted and then got the ball back with, what, 40, 40 seconds, 45 seconds, and no timeouts. I mean, they had to push the ball down the field at that point. I mean, you could tell from high school, coming out of high school, like the arm talent with yeah. Rattlers there. Like, he, to me, when he, I watched highlight tapes out of high school – 
I get like, you know, not, I'm not saying he's at the level of Patrick Mahomes, but I kind of get that quasi like Patrick Mahomes, like just gunslinger, like he can make any throw on the field if he, you know, gets the, the mental side right. If he could get comfortable on the field and we just don't know that he's going to have the mentality to play high level college football yet at a consistent basis. But the arm talent is absolutely there. He's made some amazing throws through two games. And, you know, one of the picks last week was tipped at the line of scrimmage. The other one was it was underthrown, but it was still a pretty good play by the, the defensive back. It's a second start. So, yeah. I mean, it's not too much to worry about. I agree. He's, he's at the bottom of my list. Yeah. Um, speaking of Patrick Mahomes, Monday night football, like I was so excited for that game. And, and we ended up getting a really good football game because Baltimore somehow, after feeling like it was about 50-0, to zero, was able to kind of climb back into it. But it was funny to just really see, once again, Patrick Mahomes just completely separate himself in terms of anybody saying that there is another guy in this league that's even in the same category as him. You know, I, 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 I watched every, a lot of football, a lot of NFL football. And, you know, Drew Brees... He's got noodle arm now. He's probably done after this year. I just, I mean, he, it's gone. Tom Brady's not what he was. And, you know, I watched Russell Wilson on Sundays. Just, I mean, he's amazing. Russell Wilson might be the be- the most accurate deep ball thrower I've ever seen. Aaron Rodgers Sunday night, amazing. But I'm almost at the point. I'm very close to the point through two years and three games of saying Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback that's ever played football. There's yeah, just nothing I mean, he can't do on the field. Yeah. He, who drops 11 steps? Who drop? Who takes an 11-step drop out of a shotgun and throws a touchdown pass? Yeah. He, I mean, he throws 50-yard, like, pinpoint accurate passes off his back foot. The guy will be running to his left and somehow, like, flip his hips and sidearm a ball, uh, you know, going back against his body across the field and, like, hits a dude in the numbers. You're like... That shouldn't even be possible. That's like a, a Madden move, right? Like, And even right. on Madden, they don't throw the ball that well. I mean, the, the only quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime that can throw the ball that far, that hard, that easy is Aaron Rodgers. But Patrick Mahomes makes it even more difficult on himself and still does it with the same yeah. ease. It, he's won an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl. I'll be shocked if he doesn't win a couple more MVPs, get to at least another Super yeah. Bowl in the next five years. Yeah, like the, he's unbelievable, and it helps that you know he's got the weapons that they have in Kansas City. He's got Andy Reid, but that's that's football. System matters in football. Like where you go, where you get drafted, makes the entire difference. But he would still be making those throws if he was in Chicago. Oh, for like sure. The talent, talent, uh, talent wise, I just I don't think there's a guy in the history of football that has been able to do what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do, and. I, he's talent wise. I just don't think there's anybody that can quite reach where he's at. No, I, I completely agree. I, he, from a talent standpoint and from what he's already accomplished, do you realize going into this season, he had started less than two full seasons? He had 31 career starts going into this season. Yeah, he missed some time last year. Yeah. Still won, he won, won a Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl and he's won an MVP with less than two full seasons worth of starts. The guy, like, if you just talk about what he has a chance to accomplish in the NFL, the guy absolutely has a chance to to be in the conversation or be the guy when it's all said and done as the greatest quarterback who ever played this game. And to your point about just watching on a weekly basis what he's capable of, 
I, I'm with you. I, I don't feel like I've ever held maybe anybody to the standard that I'm currently holding Patrick Mahomes every time I watch him, and somehow he still amazes me. Like, to, you- to have the expectations that we have for him and still be amazed nearly every single week is unbelievable. We see this in basketball all the time, right? Like, Le- LeBron James came into the league with such high expectations, and granted, he's he's done phenomenal things, but there are a lot of people that have just set the expectations for LeBron so damn high that no matter what he does, he's never going to reach them, right? Even when he's great, like, he still hears a lot of criticism because people just always want more from LeBron James. And it's almost like with Patrick Mahomes, we, we set the bar incredibly high every single week in terms of what we expect from him. And it's like every week we're still surprised by how good he is. It's, it's really remarkable. I think there's two examples to really, you know, hammer home how good Patrick Mahomes is. One, Cliff Kingsbury didn't bench him after five games. Like, you have to be a really damn good quarterback to not get benched by Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. Because he benched every other one that he had. Yeah. Two, like you said, Patrick Mahomes has started less than two full seasons. And as an entire viewing audience worldwide watching the NFL, he's in it. Less than two years of starting, everybody is like, when he doesn't make the perfect throw, it's a shock. Yeah. Like, he's at the point already where you just assume he's going to win every game and make every throw, and he usually does. I assume they're going to score on every possession. And they almost do. They like, pretty I, much yeah, do. Yeah, I'm literally like, it almost feels like something is not right in the world when I watch them punt. I'm like, what happened? Like, what? Right. Is the, is the world about to end? Three straight like, times. It's crazy. He's it's it's unreal the level that he plays at and the level that he's already at and I, it's watching like, it's Michael Jordan-esque. Yeah, it is. It is. And and the cool thing is like sometimes I feel like maybe we start appreciating guys too late in sports. Like they have to kind of accomplish being the greatest or being in that that conversation before we really start appreciating how great they are. With Patrick Mahomes, like I feel like we, we're already appreciating how great he is, and he's he's just at the beginning of, of his story, really. Yeah, it's like every Sunday, I like it, I'm at a loss of words. Like yeah. I just, I how else do you describe him that he's just amazing? Like there's nothing he can't do. Like even in scrambling, he's an amazing scrambler. He can run the ball really well. How many first downs did he pick up the other night? More than Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. And the other part, and and you got to give Andy Reid a ton of credit and Eric Bieniemy. That offense, even I mean Patrick Mahomes certainly makes the offense, but what they do with play calling and the screen game and the misdirection, like watching the Kansas City Chiefs play offense is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's you have to assume Bieniemy is going to be gone probably after this year. You probably would have thought he'd be gone after the last two years. I need to start he, the Eric Bieniemy to the Dallas Cowboys Twitter account, like, right now. As OC? Yeah. Well, head coach. No, uh, head I mean, coach. AC. Head coach, just go ahead. Yeah. Whatever Look, role I, he wants. Andy Reid, I he finally won a Super Bowl last year, obviously, but I, I still think he is way too underrated as a head coach because you think about it, going back to the late 90s, he has consistently won games. Through, through changes of the way that football is played, through eras, through different teams, different quarterbacks, different co- coaching staffs, 
he has consistently been really, really good. And if Donovan McNabb could have, you know, won the, w- that Super Bowl against New England, if he could have won one of those NFC Championship games, if he could have got something a little bit more out of Patrick Mahal or Donovan McNabb, excuse me. Like he probably would be up there with Bill Belichick, but he's not because early in his career he just didn't have the guy, the quarterback that could win those big games. But he's I, I think he's always going to be extremely underrated, but he's he's a really damn good coach. Well, you're seeing what what is possible, not only with the right quarterback, but I mean, they, they have players, I think, to run the offense that he wants to run. And the thing in Philadelphia, I, I never really felt like I mean, Brian Westbrook was really good. Yeah, they didn't ever have a had T.O. one year. but And they had T.O. one year. But they never really had the pieces, I think, to unlock how good that offense could be. Um, I mean, there there was a long period of time where, like, Hank Basket and... Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- name your receivers there. Um, and, Chance, that's the thing. Yeah, Greg Lewis for a while, I think, and uh, Freddie Mitchell. Freddie Mitchell, yeah. I mean, they just... They had just... Again... Nothing against any of those guys, but none of those guys were all pro or pro bowl type of guys, right? They were just, you know, they yeah. were just kind of NFL journeyman type receivers. So to to finally have a variety of playmakers in that offense and to watch everything they're able to do, and again, it's all based on on Patrick Mahomes' ability to really do anything that you ask of him from a a passing standpoint and even extending plays and and running the football himself, but Good Lord, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's a fair argument. I mean, that Chiefs offense was good with Alex Smith. And then Patrick Mahomes just took him to an elite level. So, yeah, I mean, great. Yeah. I mean, it's it, everything's just put together in Kansas City perfectly right now. What's uh, What's been most disappointing in the NFL to this point that is not named the Houston Texans? Because I know you you are ready to shit all over them. Uh, I. I think the Philadelphia Eagles probably are just a notch above the Texans in disappointment because at least Houston has the excuse that the schedule makers just decided <laughs> to pop one in their head in the first month of the season and just kill everything. Did you see the ESPN graphic last night during the baseball game for for this weekend's football action? Oh, hang on. Hang on, hang on. My uh, headphones disconnected. Uh-oh. So, hang on. All right, so I'll just talk for a minute while you uh, get that figured out. So, last night during the baseball game, they, they did a preview of this weekend's NFL action, and so they put a graphic on the screen with the games that are going to be shown, and the, the graphic shows Browns versus Cowboys, and it has a picture of Dak Prescott. Are you back with me now? Yeah, yeah, okay. I just my you came through my computer speakers after my. Oh yeah, phone. no worries, no worries. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know where were we were talking about. Okay, the so so last night during the baseball game, they show a, a football graphic for this weekend's matchups, and it has it lists four games and it has a player quarterback graphic next to each game. So they show Browns Cowboys, and above that game is a picture of Dak Prescott. They show Patriots Chiefs, and above that game listing is a, a photo of Patrick Mahomes. They show Falcons Packers, and above that game is a graphic of Aaron Rodgers. And then the final one, this is so good, is Eagles 49ers, and above that game is a picture of Nick Mullins. <laughs> Carson Wentz has sucked so bad 
that the spotlight in the graphic is awarded to the San Francisco backup quarterback, Nick Mullins. I mean, if you're tying with the Cincinnati Bengals, come on. They suck. They're terrible. I, they've got a lot of injuries. Their offensive line is just obliterated. So there's something to be said there. But Carson Wentz, I mean, he their, their entire offense was obliterated by injuries last year, and he was really good and led them to the playoffs this year. It's just been abysmal. I, I don't know. I don't know how you don't beat Cincinnati at home. And a home field advantage, take it with a grain of salt this year, obviously. But you should still beat the Cincinnati Bengals, who are a much worse team than Philadelphia, as bad as Philadelphia is. Joe Burrow looked way better than Carson Wentz in that game. Oh, yeah. Joe, every, through three weeks of the season, Joe Burrow has looked better than Carson yeah, Wentz agreed. in every game. Yeah. I was having this conversation on, what day was this? Sunday or maybe Monday? Maybe it was Monday. How many quarterbacks in the NFL right now would you say are let's just say good quarterbacks, like above average. And we'll just kind of like, let me set the bar with like, I would say like Matt Stafford is an average quarterback. So how many quarters, just to kind of give you like a reference point. So how many quarterbacks would you say are good quarterbacks? I would probably have Stafford around 12 or 13 if I was doing quarterback rankings. Okay. Uh, So... 11 or 12. I, I think you could definitely Kyler Murray in the NFC, in the NFC West, Kyler Murray. Uh, I think Jared Goff is above average. I think he's a decent quarterback and system helps, but I think he's above average. Russell Wilson, for sure. Uh, Dak Prescott. Nobody else in the NFC East. They're terrible. Aaron Rodgers. I want to say Kirk Cousins is above average. No, no. But only slightly. Only slightly He's not. above average. He's not. I'll just help you there. He's not. Okay, he put, we'll he has giant stats because he sucks, and they always have to climb out of a hole, and then he fucks up at the end. He's not. He, he, yeah. <sighs> he is Philip Rivers, right. right? Like, Kirk Cousins well, and Philip Rivers are kind of the same guy. Philip Rivers is definitely above average. At this point, at this point, maybe not, but career-wise, he's borderline yeah, he's, Hall of Famer. I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He has right. massive stats, but... Uh, nobody else in the NFC North, then. Um, NFC South... Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan's the only one right now. Tom Brady's above average. I'll put yeah, Tom Brady Yeah, Tom Brady's still, still above average. He's not elite, yeah. but yeah. Drew Brees, no, not anymore. Uh, Josh NFC Allen? South. Josh Allen, yeah. Oh, God, he's been so good. I've been... Yeah. I expect him to put up big numbers, but he's been so good through three weeks, and they've built a really damn good team in Buffalo. Like I'm really impressed with them. Josh Allen, yeah. Cam Newton right now, yeah, he's above average. He's been good through three games. Um, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill, surprisingly above average. I, I guess I had Stafford lower. Stafford's probably like 15 or 16. Yeah. I think there's a lot of like pretty good quarterback play right now in the NFL. Like there's a lot of teams that had terrible quarterbacks two or three years ago that have fixed the problem, whether it's been through the draft or Tennessee and free agency picking up Brian Tannehill. Like I, I think the quarterback play in the NFL has been pretty damn good this year. Yeah, it's 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 funny. It's just not the you know again Brady is still above average, but not in the elite group anymore. Uh, Breeze has looked incredibly average to this point, and you're right about the arm. I'm not ready to completely write him off yet, but it kind of feels like the writing's on the wall as far as him taking that step to like Peyton Manning, Denver Broncos final season. It feels like type it. of production, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Lamar Jackson, and, and like, it's crazy to, to say this, and I'm a Cowboys fan, and I hate their offense, and I, I think that through three weeks they've looked like garbage uh, for – what they do is they fall behind, and then when they're so far behind that the defense kind of goes into that, that you know, semi-prevent, uh, all of a sudden they start – moving the ball and having great statistics. But even with that said, I mean, Dak Prescott's a top 10 guy. And yeah. Kyler Murray's been unbelievable to this point. And, uh, yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm excited where they already are uh, as far as the NFL and, and what we're watching every week. And uh, I can only imagine that it's only going to get better because nobody, nobody really had any buildup to the season. I, I got to ask you. Uh, right now, you paying Dak what he wants? Probably. I think you have to. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, it sounded crazy a couple years ago, but you knew the direction that things were going, and you knew that if he played well, you were going to have to pay him. I mean, that's just what the quarterback market is, whether you like it or not. Otherwise, you're going to have to get another guy. And there's no guarantee that that, that guy's going to do the same thing. Now, if, if you want to say that for whatever reason, you're not believing in Dak Prescott, like Dak Prescott has shown that he is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I, I think that's fair to say at this point. But if you think like he's not the answer in Dallas, then you know what? I, I It's hard to argue when you look at how underwhelming the offense, despite the great stats, and, and we all understand that at the end of the game, the stats don't always tell a story. And Dallas, statistically, I mean, even going back to last year when they were incredibly disappointing, statistically, the offense looked great, right? Dak was like top five mm-hmm. in basically every passing category. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, like the offensive numbers looked good, but you have to understand, like a lot of that comes in games against bad teams and a lot of it comes against good teams it's almost like they have to get behind and play catch up to accomplish really all those things that they they end up that end up looking great on the stat sheet so there's there's some sort of failure there I I kind of think it's more Kellen Moore and like I, I I just I put myself in this position if I was watching an offense that looked anything like the Baltimore Ravens or the Kansas City Chiefs with the Dallas Cowboys personnel, I think it's a completely different narrative in Dallas about what we're watching every week. And so so that's why I'm like, there is a problem there. I think, too, though, you kind of have to make the argument that because the defense has been so bad that, I mean, I, I don't know that Kellen Moore is necessarily running the exact offense that he wants to run because they're always having to keep, play catch up or keep up because the defense can't tackle anybody. They can't stop anybody. I mean, Alden, if Alden Smith has been your best defensive player through three weeks, like your defense been, isn't playing super I mean, he's great. been really good though. But yes, the defense He has sucks. been really good. The defense is terrible. But like the problem is the offense doesn't do anything out of the gate when the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. Well, yeah, well, that might be the offense that Kellen Moore wants to run right. is a lot more conservative through Zeke and it forces him to open it up. When when they the are at their to... best, it's it's crazy. When they're at their best, it's when they're forced to start playing with tempo and to start spreading the ball and pushing the ball down the field and Dak Prescott has to start using his legs because for whatever reason, it's like they they put him in bubble wrap in that offense 
and they do not want to use his legs. And we see every good team in the NFL. To, I'm not saying you have to like run powers with Dak Prescott, but every good team in the NFL is taking advantage of quarterback mobility. You're seeing the Baltimore Ravens do it with Lamar Jackson. You're seeing the Kansas City Chiefs do it with Patrick Mahomes. You're seeing the Cardinals do it with Kyler Murray. I mean, I feel like I see Aaron Rodgers extend plays. In, in great, even though he's not a, a runner, he is a mobile quarterback, and you see him extend a lot of plays and make big plays using his legs to get out of the pocket and, and still throw the ball down the field. It's like there is some sort of, like, brainwashing rap Dak in bubble wrap, keep him in the pocket, never use his legs thing happening in Dallas. And that's the first issue. And secondly, they are just so damn slow offensively. They huddle up. They decide what play they want to run. They come to the line of scrimmage. They let the defense get set. They snap the ball. Most of the time, we all kind of see what's coming. It's very predictable. And then they do it again. And then all of a sudden, they're down by like 14 points. And they're like, oh, shit. We got to like speed things up. And they start playing with tempo and getting the ball out quick. And and Dak Prescott starts to feel like some sort of urgency. And so you see him start being creative. And that's when they're at their best. And it's mind-blowing to me how they always have to get to that position before they kind of unlock the offense. I mean, Sam Darnold had a 40-yard touchdown run last night. If Sam Darnold can do that, Dak can do that. Right. Yeah, I mean, Sam Darnold, the most dangerous Jets rushing attack since Thomas Jones. It's not, and then two, it's not like, you know, it's not like Dallas's offense needs to milk the clock and stay on the field. The defense is never on the field for more than two and a half minutes before they give up a touchdown. Yeah. It's not like they're exhausted by any means. Yeah. And, and it's crazy. They're not the same team they were three, three or four years ago anyway. Like, that team was built on the offensive line, and I think a lot of people felt like that was the identity. They were just going to run the ball down your throat. You have, I, I still think Zeke is the best all-around running back in the NFL uh, with what you can do with him running between the tackles, catching the ball of the backfield, the blocker that he is, the speed, the power. Like, he's just a complete back. Uh, and I, I still think he's the best running back, overall running back in the NFL. But the offensive line's not the same group. And it's, it's almost like they still have this mentality of we're just going to, we're going to run the clock and we're going to run the ball and we're going to be physical. And that's really not what this team is, is good at doing anymore, especially when you don't have the complete group on the offensive line that, that you've had. Both tackles have been out to this point. You're breaking in Joe Looney at center after Travis Frederick retires. It's, it's not the same group. And so like trying to hold on to this identity of, playing 1970s smash mouth football with your running back it doesn't work i mean this this team is better as an up-tempo spread the ball to all the different playmakers team that should be the identity of this group and it it just kind of feels like they don't want to let go of being a power run team and slowing things down and they're always forced to get out of that and that's when you see the offense start having success which is ironic because you look at the off seasons they've had the last couple of years, you would think they're building a team to be more up tempo and be a quick offense yeah. with the, I mean, the receiving core, they have the best receiving core in the NFL with yeah. the top three guys. Yeah. And a mobile quarterback. Like it's, yep. it's crazy. They run tempo and start spreading the ball out. And that's when you see them have success, but it, it takes them either getting in those two minute situations at the end of a half or like at the end of a game or, it takes them, you know, falling behind and being forced to kind of play catch up and not run that slow bullshit that they always want to run, that slow, uncreative, boring, predictable bullshit that they, they constantly want to run offensively. And it's like, what the, what are they doing? 
It's frustrating oh. to watch, man. Like it's so frustrating to watch. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a real argument. They should be zero and three right now. Like they the should Texans. be zero and three. So yeah, we could both be sitting in misery and winless football. Yeah. Well, look, I know they won the game against the Falcons. In my mind, that was still a massive L. So oh, in my mind, they're zero three. Proud about it. Yeah. You realize the NFC East, if that if that onside kick doesn't happen, the NFC East is one eleven and one. Or or one ten and one, sorry. Uh, and I'm so excited because I'm sure that we're gonna get about six more NFC East primetime yeah. games this year. And that only that, that one win was because the Washington football team played the Philadelphia Eagles and somebody had to win that game. Yeah. Yeah, oh my god. Like if you take away the Atlanta onside kick, the NFC East has won one game this season, and that was because two NFC East teams were playing in it. Hey, Which I guess technically like, could have ended in a tie, so at least somebody did get a W. That's, that's fair. Hey, nothing like having a uh, five-win team win the division this year. Yeah. Uh, NBA Finals, Heat-Lakers, blowout in game one. I've got to admit something. I, I, you know, especially after the Clippers were eliminated, I felt like the Lakers were definitely playing better basketball, but I felt like from a matchup standpoint, the Clippers were going to give the Lakers a problem. And we didn't get to see that matchup. And at that point, I kind of penciled the Lakers into the title spot. I just felt like it was inevitable they were going to win it. And in the days leading up to game one, just looking at the matchups and looking at really the versatility of how Miami can play, I, I kind of I, I ended up swaying to Miami in a long series. Good Lord, was game one a beating. Yeah, I... <sighs> I, I think that this is probably a five-game series. I think that L.A. just one. They've got the second guy. They've got that second superstar that if LeBron's getting doubled, then go to AD or vice versa. Like, there's just – they've got that one extra guy that causes mismatches all over the floor. Um, you know, Miami not having Bam Adebayo is – that's a big loss that I don't think people are talking about enough because he's a great rim protector, and he could at least force, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron to – you know, space the floor and shoot from outside a little bit more than they probably want to. But, you know, unless Tyler Harrow decides to go full, you know, just new, you know, neutron star again, you know, two or three games this series, Jimmy Butler offensively is just not enough to carry a Miami team against this Lakers team. That's pretty sound defensively. Like I I think LeBron's going to do it again. I think he's going to get a ring with a third team, which I don't know if that's impressive or if that's kind of just a, you know, a detriment to the NBA in the LeBron era that he won titles with three different teams as a star. I I think it's mostly in my mind, just representative of the era that he's playing in. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day that, there there really wasn't any teams in the Jordan era where other guys were like, we've got to beat Jordan. We've got to team up to beat Jordan. Like Reggie Miller was just like, ah, I'll shoot it. Yeah. You know, I'll shoot 40% from the field and beat him myself. But it, it never happened, obviously. I mean, think but, of the think of the star players during the Jordan era. How many of those guys move teams while, uh, like, I'm not saying eventually, because obviously, like, Hakeem Olajuwon played with the Raptors for a period of time that no, yeah. like nobody remembers. But when they were still like legitimate top ten players in the league, I I honestly, off the top of my head, can't think of a guy. Maybe Shaq. Shaq went to the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. which worked out, but he didn't win until didn't, Jordan left. Right. He basically went to L.A. We probably maybe 
one season when Jordan was still two seasons, maybe when Jordan was still playing with the Lakers, um, well, Shaq was with the Lakers, obviously, but yeah, I mean, back then it wasn't about adding another star to your team. It was just about adding the role players around the star. Yeah. But the Bulls had a second star. I mean, Malone and- ended up with that, with the Lakers, but he was, he was no longer like an elite player. Uh, you know, Barkley, when I think when he went to Houston was definitely on the downhill slide oh, yeah, yeah. at that point, you know, Scotty ended up leaving Chicago and, and playing for a couple teams, but uh, you know, same thing with him. Olajuwon was in Houston all during his prime and didn't leave until after, you know, he was no longer a top 10 guy. Uh, I mean, across the league, th- there's not the the same situation where, where in today's NBA, you're talking about, I mean, future Hall of Famers, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, um, you know, uh, name LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Uh, we're seeing it every single year. I mean, guys that are in the prime of their career switching teams. So, you know, I know that it's it's one of those things where we're like, oh, it's amazing. He's done it with all these different teams, but I don't, that's just kind of what the NBA is right now. That's, yeah. you know, it's not... The the norm would be LeBron James winning four titles, or the, the, uh, the crazy thing would be LeBron James winning four titles with the same team. Like, anybody that wins a bunch of titles with one team and basically one group, I think, would be more crazy in today's NBA than seeing guys with mobility just kind of move from spot to spot and win multiple titles. I think that uh, I think the thing that makes LeBron, when we look back at his career, at least for me, that I'm going to say making the argument for how good he was was what he did with the 07 Cavs and what he did with the uh, the Cavs, his first year of the return to Cleveland when they lost to Golden State in the finals. Those two teams that he absolutely led yeah. by himself with a bunch of scrubs. I think that's the testament to how good of a player LeBron James is that he could will Booby Gibson and Zadrinas Elgowskis to an NBA finals that LeBron would have been what 22 or 23 at that point. Like he was young in the NBA. So, and then he did it again, like seven years later with Matthew Della Vadova and Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. And again, all all my statements don't take away from the accomplishment because it's I mean what LeBron James has done is still phenomenal. I I just simply meant like I, for me at least, winning all the titles with three different teams isn't something that is as mind blowing as it would have been ten or fifteen years ago because that's just kind of what the NBA is right now. Like yeah. Kawhi Leonard, very much could have been that same dude this year, right? Like. One way or the other, it almost felt like either LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard, one of those two guys was going to win a third ring with a third different team. Luckily for the NBA, they were both in LA, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the it, NBA yeah. is counting their money. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's wild. How do you feel about the Thunder's coaching situation? Uh, I, I've been thinking about it, and I've been trying to figure out who they would hire. And like honestly, I have no idea. You would assume that they're going to go for an unknown guy because. I'm firmly in the camp that Chris Paul's gone based on that video he put on Twitter after this, they got eliminated from the playoffs. That was a goodbye. That was a breakup video. Like, it, come on. I've seen yeah. it a hundred times. That was a video. He's leaving. Yeah. You, you don't think you're, you don't, you don't thank your coworkers. If you're going to show up on Monday, you thank your coworkers. If you're not showing up on Monday ever or ever again. Agreed. So I think Chris Paul's gone. Gallinari's gone. Um, 
I, I think Steven Adams sticks around, but they're going in. They're going to be a rebuilding team. They're going to be super young. It doesn't make sense for somebody like Mike D'Antoni to come in. You know, Thunder fans are throwing around Doc Rivers. That didn't make sense. It makes sense to bring in a guy like Billy Donovan, who is either a successful college coach or a young up and coming, you know, uh, Sean McVay type coach in the NBA where he's got some really progressive thoughts and could evolve the game with this team and help these young guys, you know, reach that next level. And I just don't know who that guy is right now, honestly. And that's part of it. I just, I haven't been as in tune with the NBA, especially college basketball. Like I just not long Kruger. Let's hire long Kruger. Let's go ahead. Let's hire long Kruger. Hey, it's a short move or, or not a move at all. You don't have to, you probably commute have to hire the U-Haul company. Yeah. He can just, stay yeah, I have no idea. You, any guy, I mean, is there anybody in your mind that you could see them going out for? I honestly think whoever it is, number one, it's a bridge guy. Because one of the big issues with Billy Donovan, I think, was he, you know, they couldn't really commit to what they were going to do because there's just so many unknowns about what the roster looks like currently as constructed, understanding that, that Chris Paul probably wants to be put in a situation where he can make a title run while he is still playing at a really high level and knowing that Gallinari is a free agent, knowing that you're a year away from making decisions on Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder and, and you have this young core with a bunch of draft picks coming up over the next few seasons. Like I, I think there's a, an element of, we got to kind of figure out what we have and, and you know, where the dust settles when some of those players maybe move on or whatever. So I think whoever it is, it's a bridge guy anyway, until you can figure out the exact, situation you're in but I, I kind of look at the situation with money and the way that COVID has impacted things and I, I honestly think it's probably somebody that's currently on staff like and, and there are a bunch of names that I think make sense with current staff members but I, I think you could get any of those guys for cheap because mo- for, the, for the most part you know other than I guess uh, Mo Cheeks you're giving all those guys first opportunities as a head coach, so I, I can't imagine that that would cost a bunch of money to have any of those guys move into that chair. Plus, they already kind of know the OKC way and, and the way that Sam Presti likes to operate. That just, to me, makes all the sense in the world. Well, and two, in a normal year, you could probably go pick somebody out of college, but the NBA season is going to be starting in probably December, yeah. about the same time that college basketball is starting. You really don't have the luxury of an entire summer to, you know, do a hiring process, get a college coach to leave the program a month before the season starts, two weeks before the season starts. It makes yeah, I could see somebody internally. Like it, it's either going to be somebody internally or maybe like a Fred Hoiberg guy, just somebody like that they could pay low, they could be a bridge guy that nobody's going to have super high expectations of for the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And in, internally makes sense. I, I Mo Cheek still there. Yes. Mo Cheek's still on staff, right? Yeah. I can see Mo Cheek's taking over yeah. uh, for a couple of years. He's got some experience. Yeah. Again, yeah I mean, yeah. it just, everything that I, I know and believe in about the NBA just points to this being a bridge hire anyway. And, you know, you don't want to go spend a bunch of money on a guy that, you know, you're, you're obviously rebuilding anyway. And there's, I mean, you have to be more financially aware of what you're doing now than you've ever been, uh, given the, the shutdown and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I think it just, uh, it, it makes all the sense in the world. It's going to be a, a current staffer. 
I will say, though, Billy leaving Oklahoma City for Chicago, it's not like he got a huge upgrade. No, he absolutely didn't get an upgrade. But look, I, I said this last week because immediately, you know, the thought was Billy didn't want to stick around for a rebuilding situation here. And that's exactly what he's going into at, at Chicago. But like, I think you have to look at this from a different lens because while that is true... Billy Donovan experienced a certain amount of success in OKC this year that I think it's fair to say, especially if you don't have Chris Paul, Gallo moves on, that you're not going to achieve next season. So even if even if both situations are a rebuild, and I, and I would even say that I like the Thunder situation better than the Bulls situ- situation, for Billy Donovan after this year, it would be going in a, in a backward direction position right like you're not going forward you're not getting better than the four or five position you're going backward from Chicago you're starting fresh from the ground floor and moving up you're not going in in the wrong direction so like all the goodwill that Billy Donovan was able to establish this season with being the underdog and being this incredible story is gone if he stays around next year and they're rebuilding and the team's not very good yeah I mean that's that's true. I mean, at least uh, you know Chicago's at least laid some tile in their in their rebuild. They're not not close much, to being done, but, but it's not Oklahoma like he was. was yeah, to, but he's not he's not in in a position in Chicago where he was the you know in the four or five matchup in the playoffs, Man. and having to to feel like he set the bar at that spot and try and match that again. Like it's literally he can't fail there. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, there's nowhere right. to there's, go but up if you are the coach in Chicago right now. And he he's done all he can do in Oklahoma City. He's not gonna. Yeah. he's peaked. He yeah. peaked in Oklahoma City exactly. with what he had, was able to do in his time. Yeah, he peaked. I mean, he's. I mean, it's gonna take them restructuring the roster before he can get back to that level. And look, he's got to be aware of his next contract and how much he wants to get paid. And I I just don't believe that Billy Donovan's stock was going to ever be higher than it was after this run. No. I mean, he he was he did an amazing job coaching this season. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody, uh, Thunder fans or NBA fans, anybody that would argue that Billy Donovan did, did not do a good job coaching. I mean, Lou Dort scored 30 points in a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But look, I mean, the coach doesn't matter everywhere in the NBA. As uh, I, I want to go back. I've heard excerpts of this. I, I would love to go listen to the entire thing, and I'll probably try to do that some point today. But... Apparently, Kyrie Irving, I don't know if it was on Kevin Durant's podcast or he and Kevin Durant were on a podcast together, um, but I heard excerpts from this podcast, them talking about the head coaching situation, and then this started making the rounds on Twitter last night. But my favorite is this quote from uh, Kyrie Irving, where he says, I don't really see us having a head coach. KD could be the head coach. I could be the head coach. And then seeing another extended version of this, he, and and I'm kind of summarizing this, he basically says, on any given night, it could be any of us. It could be Jacques Vaughn as the head coach on any given night. I mean, on a lot of teams in the NBA, I do. I think that's the case. I think that on a lot of teams, the head coach is a very minuscule, has a minuscule role in the success of the team. When you got when your team is just Kyrie and KD, I think they're probably right. Just they're going to run a bunch of ISO, and if they get double team, they'll pass the ball. 
teams like Oklahoma City, I think a coach is very important when you got a lot of young guys and you need to run a system to be successful because you can't win one-on-one matchups with anybody on your roster. Then your head coach matters. The Clippers. Doc Rivers didn't make a damn difference on the Clippers' success. Uh, Frank Vogel is not the reason that the Lakers are in the finals. I think that Eric Spolstra is a huge reason why Miami is in the finals because they don't have guys that can just go win isolation matchups. So I, I agree. I think Kyrie Irving is right. They really don't need a head coach in Brooklyn. I don't think Steve Nash is going to make a difference because if Steve Nash tries to implement a system, you know what KD and Kyrie are going to tell them? They're going to tell them to go F off. We're going to run ISO plays because that's what we do. Yeah. No, that's true. The The part of this that's interesting to me is that I, I think from a personality standpoint, Katie and Kyrie both kind of have a little bit of like, poor me, uh, you know, yeah. like everybody needs to kind of cater to my needs and, and they don't come off as, uh, I'm tr- what's the best way to put this? Adults? Yes, that's that's probably a very good way to put it. And so when you have a couple of guys like that that are now paired up and you look at again, your point about the basketball part of what you're saying is absolutely true. But to hear these comments before a season has even started from two guys that kind of fit under that umbrella about who their head coach is and, and the fact that they don't really have one voice is a little bit concerning because it kind of feels like both of those guys need somebody to kind of point them in the right direction. Not, not again, not from like a, we're going to draw up this play type of standpoint, but just from an everyday, this is the way we need to look at things standpoint from a mentality standpoint. I don't think Steve Nash is like, I don't think Steve Nash is aggressive enough to be that guy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to know. Steve Kerr didn't seem like he would be aggressive enough either. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we don't know who, what Steve Nash is going to be like in a coaching role, but right. yeah, this is a, Look, I can't wait to see what it looks like. I can't wait to see Kyrie and KD on the floor together. I think it's it's going to be... I mean, you're talking about two of probably the top five just one-on-one get you a bucket guys in the league. But I don't know. It, 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 there's no way this uh, There's no way this backfires, right? <laughs> Absolutely no way. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you like 10 to 1 odds. This does not backfire. In any Seven, way. 70 wins minimum for the Nets next year. Yeah. Uh, let's let's hit the, the baseball playoffs real quick before we, we run and I let you get back to your, your uh, stuff. But I in this season, I, I love the expanded playoffs. You have such a short period of time for everybody to kind of find their footing that uh, I, I like the fact that they opened it up and we're getting this like wild card round. It's been awesome. I, I don't know how I would feel about this every year, especially if, you do, if you're playing 162 games. But man, the last few days have been awesome. I mean, it's, it's like baseball's version of March Madness. It's been really great. I feel the complete opposite. I hated the expanded playoffs. You Baseball already deals with an issue where the games don't matter enough, and you finally have a season where the games, regular season games, matter so much and you water it down by letting more teams into the playoffs. The Astros should not have gotten into the playoffs. The, the uh, there's another team that finished under 500 that got in. The, uh, the well, the Cardinals barely finished above. They shouldn't the have gotten in. The Blue Brewers Jays, right? Blue Jays were actually four games over. Were they over? They were, okay. Yeah, they were 32 and 28. But the Brewers were under. I, I just, oh, Brewers. I feel that's like, that's who I was yeah. thinking of, not Blue Jays. I, I, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball. I just feel like they just they they can't get it right right now. 
And to me, like right now it's fun because it's playoff baseball. It's elimination baseball. Yeah. Like that's fun. But it, to me, it just ruined the regular season for me a little bit because you could have had game 20 matter like it was game 150, but instead you water it down. Like why, why it just wasn't necessary to me because at the end of the day, you're still probably going to get the same teams in the World Series. The Dodgers are probably still going to make the World Series. They still look way better than every other team in the National League. And in the AL, I, AL is a little bit more of a toss-up for me at this point. But I, I, it still is, I still think you're going to get the same teams you would have gotten if you didn't expand the playoffs. Well, yeah, but we have more like Game 7 type situations. I mean, we've sure. had three days of basically elimination baseball, Game 7 type baseball for teams and and your point about the regular season I think is fair again I mean a 60 game season isn't a lot so there's a ton of urgency anyway uh, to to get some sort of separation and and you know even with expanded playoffs to get separation and be one of those teams at the same time like because of the late start I don't know how many more eyeballs you were getting anyway so like maybe what you're saying to me makes more sense if they had started earlier and they were the only thing happening and they weren't competing against basketball and football and everything else that's going on. But the fact that they're competing with everything else at the same time, like I don't know that, that keeping the same structure and adding a little bit more weight to the regular season games really makes a difference in this season. I think they actually benefit more from the expanded playoff and having that the you know the weight of what you're talking about inserted into a wild card round and look am i a little conflicted about whether or not i want to root for the astros a little bit you should be i'm a little salty still about the way they handled everything but look at i mean they already won they'd swept the twins so well is that that the astros or is that the twins what is the consecutive loss number now for for minnesota in the playoffs Oh, it's at least five. Oh, did, I, I thought, year, I, thought right? I heard during the broadcast, I think the first day that they played, that they it was something like 13 straight postseason losses or something like that. Yeah, that's going am, back am to I crazy the, uh, there? Did I make that up? That seems crazy. It seems crazy that in 13 games you couldn't win one because if you made the playoffs, you're a pretty good team. But, I mean, that's going back to the Joe Maurer and the Justin Morneau era if we're talking 13 games that they've lost in a row. Yeah, it was it was some crazy number, and I think it was in the teens. I heard them, or I feel like I heard them say in the broadcast, maybe I'm crazy. Dude, I've watched so much uh, sports that I could be mistaking this for something else. Uh, oh, no, here we go. Okay, so this was, this was actually this morning. The Twins have lost 18 consecutive postseason oh. contests. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there so, you go. 18. Good Lord. They haven't. I don't think they've made the, the playoffs as a wild card since they added the wild card round. So we're talking divisional rounds in 18. That's five and a half. Whew. Six and six. I can't do math. I'm stupid. Yeah. That's six divisional rounds in a row. They've been swept. That's well, crazy. Two this week. So yeah, five. But that's got to go back to the early 2000s. That's got to go back to Johan Santana and Eddie Gordado. <laughs> Johan was a beast. Oh, he was so good in Minnesota. And in classic Mets fashion, they paid him a ton of money uh, about three yeah. and a half years too late. Yeah. 
if the Mets ever offer you money, you you like you just have to say no. Right, because you know you're going to go in there and be mediocre. Right, right, like your career is like you got to. I mean, do whatever you can to find some some good vibes because if the Mets are offering you a big contract, that means that the end is very close. The last time the Twins won a playoff game was in 2004. They won one game. Yikes! Against the uh, Yankees. There you go. I hope the. I was rooting for the White Sox against the A's, but I hope the A's just obliterate your Astros. Uh, a little trivia: Who do you th- who was the winning pitcher the last time the Twins won a playoff game? Two thousand four. Let's go, like uh, Liriano. It was Johan. It was a Johan. They, okay. Yeah, they won one nothing. I felt like that was going to be so obvious that I, I was trying to think of like another guy around that time period. Johan, uh, seven innings, five Ks, one walk. Good, good performance, no runs. But uh, yeah, I, the Astros. I think they'll probably beat the A's. I think their lineup is. I mean, Altuve was terrible this year, but I think their lineup's good enough. And I think the starting pitching is probably a wash between the two teams. Yeah. I'm probably lean towards Houston to get to the ALCS again. I'm just disgusted that. There's a very good chance in the ALCS uh, it could be the Yankees and the Astros, and I might just have to not watch baseball for that series. And then the Dodgers and whoever in the NL. Yeah, I, I'm actually excited to see like a Do- if if the Padres can get past the Cardinals today. Um, I, I I think the Dodgers beat the Padres, but man, the Padres are fun to watch. I, I would I would love to watch that series, and and I'd probably just root the rest of the way for whoever won that series, but. Yeah. yeah, they're good. They're fun. Yeah, it's uh, again. I the last few days from a baseball standpoint have felt like March Madness. It's been pretty awesome, and uh, I mean we've just had games like all day long, elimination games all day long. Lots of urgency. I was kind of hoping for a White Sox Padres World Series. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which I, would have just been amazing, but uh, yeah, didn't didn't work out. That would have been fun. Uh, regular season baseball with no fans, no real difference. Felt pretty much the same. Playoff baseball, though, it's hurting without fans. Oh, but. It's, yeah. Because, you, like, you know this. You watch a game, and there are moments where you can feel, even through the television, you can feel the tension of all the people standing in there, nervous yeah. as hell, not making any sound. Like, y- you can hear the gasps of, like, when a pitch just misses like the outside corner like i know those are very small things that probably non-baseball people are like that does you know like i don't even notice it but i'm with you i was watching that that padres cardinals game last night and like i was just like man this would have such an incredible atmosphere if there were people in there oh i mean down tatis machado homering in the same inning to take the lead like the crowd would be going nuts and i've been i've been at a an elimination world series game and it's puckered butthole for yeah. pitch one to the last pitch of the game. It's 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 playoff baseball. is just in a different environment that you can't replicate like Rosenthal regular- giving up that run in the ninth. Like, can you imagine if that place was full of fans, what the tension would have been? I mean, there it was tense anyway, but like you add however many people that place holds with the, you know, your statement about the puckered buttholes. Like it's holy cow. That would have been incredible to watch. Yeah. Missing out. Breaking COVID, man. Yeah. 
All right, buddy. Uh, I've kept you long enough. It was fun. A lot to talk about. So much, uh, so much crazy stuff happening in the sports world. But uh, thanks for thanks for catching up. Yeah, thanks for having me. We will. Uh, let's do it again soon. Yeah, for sure. It's fun, especially if your Astros move on. Uh, I would oh, hate God. to talk about it, but um, <laughs> it would be necessary. So. Okay. Well, well fingers crossed. One way or the other. And I if don't Deshaun know Watson way. decides to to put on the cape and become Superman and leads the Texans on a six-game win streak, then... Well, you know. Bill O'Brien's there, so don't count on it. Well, I don't, but I also think Deshaun Watson is really, really good, so he it's is. not completely out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> All right, it was fun. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, see you. Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. All right, let's transition into what I think is the most important Big 12 game of the weekend. That is Oklahoma, Iowa State, a couple of one-on-one teams. Uh, these two teams, I felt like Oklahoma was the favorite coming into the season. Iowa State, I think, consensusly, or from a consensus standpoint, was a top-five team. I had them as the third-best team coming into the season behind Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Disappointing opener for the Cyclones. The Sooners with a massive disappointment in Norman last week against Kansas State. And I think this this matchup is interesting because I believe Iowa State is capable of duplicating a lot of the things we saw from Kansas State on Saturday. Let's get a Cyclone report from Jared Stansberry with CycloneFanatic.com. Uh, Jared, before we kind of talk about this matchup, thanks for joining me. Um, how, how do you think Iowa State has played through two games? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you definitely have to be disappointed in the way that the Cyclones opened the season in, in that game against Louisiana. Um, but I think that there, you know, there's just some fluky stuff that maybe happened. You got to, you know, you, you look at the special teams uh, touchdowns that they'd allowed. And, uh, you know, the offense obviously did not play very well. It did not play up to the ability, I think, of that group. And, um, you know, then I think when you look at this game against TCU, that was a lot closer to what, uh, I, I would say that I expected to see from uh, from the Cyclones this season. Uh, you know, the offense looked explosive at times, especially in the running game. Uh, the defensive line was uh, largely dominant for a lot of the game. Um, and then, you know, there were some you know mistakes here and there, but uh, I thought for the most part that was a, a performance that that most anybody should be happy with. And uh, you know how that um, how that's able to. to carry forward is going to be interesting to see but uh, I think that you know when you uh, when you're able to move past that game one and then go on the road and get a win over a, uh, a big 12 team that I think is going to you know at the end of the day be pretty good uh, then it, then you got to be pretty happy with it when we talked before the season started I think you mentioned one of your biggest concerns was the offensive line and what that group was going to look like how do you feel like they have matured through two games because I think we're all seeing whether you have offensive line issues or not at every level, it seems like everybody is having an issue in that department because nobody's been able to practice with much physicality. You've not been able to develop much chemistry on that group. And those are two pieces that are really important to having a good offensive line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that if, uh, especially the way that that offensive line played on Saturday against TCU, it's hard to not be, uh, you know, fairly happy. Um, I think that, uh, they looked really good at, to to start that game against Louisiana, and then you lose Trevor Downing, who was your best offensive lineman a year ago, uh, and and is your best returner at that obviously your best returner at that at that position. But uh, you know he he went out of that first game with an ankle injury, uh, did not play against TCU. Uh, the guy, the person that they put in there and his as his replacement um, in that game against Louisiana, 
uh, was a fifth-year senior who had never played before at Iowa State, uh, which is, you know, it's nothing against that that player. But when you've been in the program for five years and you've literally never taken a snap before, uh, in in my mind, that's something that is is obviously not ideal to be thrown out there. But uh, you know, then Trevor Downing did not come back for that game against TCU. Um, but the player that they put in there in his in his place was uh, a redshirt freshman named Daryl Simmons, who played really really well. And Matt Campbell was um, was I think really happy with the performance that they got from him. Uh, I think that um, that's a group that is is uh, is maturing. Uh, I think once Trevor Downey comes back, they've got the opportunity to have a really good offense or a pretty good offensive line to a really good offensive line. And uh, I think a lot of the credit can go for that can actually go to um, their new strength and conditioning coach, Dave Andrews. I think that that's a group that looks a lot stronger. Uh, they look more explosive as a, as a, as a whole. Um, you know, and I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how they progress because I do think that that group has the opportunity to be as good as any offensive line that Matt Campbell's had since he's been in Ames. How, how did Brock Purdy play? Because I think anybody that saw any highlights from that game on Saturday certainly saw the the interception where it looked like he was being sacked and tried to throw the ball away, and it goes directly to the TCU player for a touchdown. And I don't know how many times I've heard this week, what the hell was Brock Purdy thinking? Yeah, and I think that that's uh, – believe me, that's what I was thinking in that moment. Uh, and I think that – um, that's definitely fair. But then when you look at the statistics, I, I want to say Brock went, uh, what was it, maybe like 18 of 23 or something like that passing. Um, I, for the most part, he was efficient. He hit on the, the deep ball to uh, to Joe Skates down the sidelines uh, there in the, in the second half that set Iowa State up to go and score um, right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, I think that there was obviously some like that play specifically. You you have to be disappointed in that. I'm sure that Brock isn't going to sit here and say that he played a perfect game by which by no means did he. Uh, but I think at the same time, um, we saw Brock getting back to uh, to being closer to where he was last season. He looked much more like that guy that we had seen previously. Uh, and I think then when you couple in the running game that Iowa State was able to show, uh, to, to put on the field in that game against the Frogs and. Um, you know, it's going to make Brock's life a lot easier here moving forward. Do you feel like he is pushing the ball down the field as much as they want him to? Because sometimes I just feel like there's maybe a lack of a vertical threat since I guess Hakeem Butler was there, and, and you have to credit Hakeem Butler for just being the guy that he was for a lot of that. But um, I, I feel like sometimes I'm just waiting on Brock Purdy to start making plays down the football field, and from my standpoint at least, it doesn't feel like he does that as much. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's certainly fair. Um, I think you got to keep in mind, too, though, the, the receivers that they have on their team. You, you know, Hakeem Butler's don't come around very often, yeah, for sure. unfortunately. I think that I, I think we all wish that they did. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you, you know, that you saw him hit, like I mentioned, he, he hit on that long pass to, to Joe Skates down the, the sidelines. I think they feel like Joe Skates is a guy who can become a really good vertical threat for him. Um, and I just think, you know, right wrong or indifferent you know I just don't know that their offense is really built uh to work to to do that you know and with as much as they throw to the tight ends um and just the kind of the guys that they've got in that group they just they don't look to do that very often and I I don't know that that's uh because of the route tree or if it's because of Brock or what it is but um you know I think that we'll probably see that more and more as the season goes on as some of those younger wide receivers get an opportunity to uh work their way into the rotation 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a fair criticism. And uh, I think, and again, I think too, that as, as the running game uh, continues to progress, which I think, you know, right now, based on what we saw on Saturday, that's a group that, or that's a, an element of Iowa State's offense that is, has, is vastly improved from a year ago. Uh, and if defenses have to respect that more, uh, then you're going to get into a position where you might have more opportunities to stretch the ball down the field. Well, as far as the matchup this Saturday, you certainly don't have to be a team that takes a bunch of shots down the field to have success against Oklahoma, and certainly Kansas State didn't do that to have success against Oklahoma. Uh, I, I really feel like Iowa State is more than capable of doing a lot of the same things that Kansas State did to give the Sooner defense problems. Yeah, for sure, and I think that um, that's one of those things that when uh, you look back at that game that, that uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State played last year and, and what Iowa State was able to do in the second half where – uh, they were able to control the clock. They were able to get Oklahoma's offense off the field. Um, and, and I expect Iowa State to really try and control the clock in this one. Uh, and I think that that's where, in my mind, that's why Oklahoma has trouble with teams like Kansas State. As many strides as they've made on the defensive end or on the defensive side, and this is just from someone who's an outsider looking in. Obviously, I'm not I, – I pay attention to Oklahoma, but I'm not, like, analyzing every – minute of every game but from an outsider's perspective I think that there's still an element of when you know you get a team up against them that's like okay we're going to run it down your throat we're going to punch you in the mouth and we're going to do it over and over and over again I think you start to see where maybe some of those old mistakes that they would made, make would, will start to kind of creep back in and you'll start to see them miss tackles and stuff like that which is obviously what happened a lot against Kansas State so I think that that's probably where um, Iowa State will really try and look. Is they're going to really try and run the ball on them? They're going to try and be the more the more physical team, um, and they're going to try and you know force Oklahoma to match their level of physicality. And if the Sooners are able to do that, then uh, then I, I think that they could they can slow down this Iowa State offense. But if not, then you could be in a position where Iowa State's offense is going to be on the field for a lot of the game. Iowa State should have won the game a year ago. If Brock Purdy throws it to the right guy in the end zone, it's an Iowa State W. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's true, man. And uh, I, I think that you know, when we look back at it, I, I would say Iowa State definitely made the right call. They had all the all the momentum in that uh, in that football game, and um, you know, it's easy to say too uh, if he would have thrown it to the right guy. But uh, you know, when things are going a million miles an hour, it's sometimes you know they still got pretty dang close to being able to score that ball in that yeah. two point conversion. So. It's it's, uh, it's hindsight's all, always twenty twenty. Once you look at the film, you yeah. know. So I don't know. I, I think that they'll be ready to go. I'm sure that they they'll be motivated by that game from last season for sure. Yeah, this is a game where I feel like Charlie Kolar and, and Brees Hall are both pretty significant pieces, and they are anyway. But in terms of of what Oklahoma seems to struggle with, uh, it kind of sets up for both of those guys to have even bigger games than they normally would. Yeah, for sure. And, and when you look back at that second half of that game last year, those are the guys that really. Um, you know, had the the biggest difference from half one to half two. Uh, Brees Hall, I, I don't, I'd have to look at the statistics of what the difference was from the first half to the second half last season. But he was considerably more of a a, a bigger piece of the game plan in the second half of that game. Uh, I think Charlie Kohler caught either one or two touchdowns in the second half. I, I can't remember for sure, but uh, even Dylan Sainer got in there and, and caught a touchdown pass. I mean, those Iowa State tight ends are going to be really important in this game, um, and I think that. Uh, like I said, I mean, I, I expect Iowa State to try and run the ball and run, run the ball to try and set up the pass for Brock Purdy rather than the other way around, which is kind of the way that it was previously in uh, for Iowa State football. 
As far as the Iowa State defense goes, uh, you know, this was a group that I think coming into the year I felt like was probably the best defense in the conference. Um, thoughts on, on just how they've played overall? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that for the most part they've been about what we expected them to. You know, like I mentioned before, the uh, that game against Louisiana, you give up the two special teams touchdowns. So really the only 17 of the points were allowed by the defense. Um, even in this game against TCU, uh, you give up one touchdown on the on the play by Brock, uh, and then the last touchdown was a hail mary that the, at the end of the game when you know it was it was already decided. So for outside of a few um, coverage breaks breakdowns, which obviously can't happen against a, an Oklahoma team that uh, you know feasts off those type of things, uh, I think that you've got to be really happy with the play of that defense so far and. Um, you know, I imagine that John Haycock will have some of those coverage things cleaned up. I think that some guys got a little bit confused. I mean, TCU's offense uh, did a lot of stuff formation-wise and, and things like that to try and confuse Iowa State secondary. I imagine to see Oklahoma do a lot of the same kind of stuff. But um, I think especially with the way that that defensive line has played, where you're able to get the amount of pressure that they have been able to with, with just three uh, three rushers, and, and and that obviously helps when you've got guys like Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald and Trell Bankston and Eni Wajarike, who are high-level pass rushers. Um, I think that this game could be pretty interesting because I expect them, them to try and put a lot of pressure on Spencer Rattler um, and try and force him into making decisions under duress, uh, and, and we're going to see how well he can, the, you know, he can handle that. And I think that I mean, I'm sure you would agree with me. He did not seem to handle it very well last week against Kansas State uh, from from what I have seen of the game. Yeah, I, th- I think this is an interesting challenge because Oklahoma appears to have trouble uh, in, in pass pro, especially on the edges. And you talk about a guy like Jaquan Bailey matching up with either tackle. I think that's, that's advantage Iowa State. Um, again, we don't know. Uh, how Spencer Rattler is going to react now that he's actually been through that scenario one time, but certainly late. Uh, he didn't look super comfortable in the offense. I, Oklahoma struggled to establish the run game once again last week, and and again, I think Kansas State is more than capable of, of playing the same sort of defense that we saw uh, from Kansas State. So, yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting matchup, and the other thing that really stands out to me, and, and this is true of Iowa State almost every year, they probably tackle as well as anyone in the conference, and Oklahoma is so good at spreading you out and getting one-on-one matchups where their playmakers make defensive backs or linebackers miss in space, and then, you know, a five-yard gain becomes those big-yard gains, and and that's where Oklahoma really Mm -hmm. separates itself. And that doesn't seem to be the case against Iowa State because they tackle so well. Yeah, and that's where, um, you know, something when I've been preparing for for this game, and and this is nothing against the – I mean, Oklahoma has very talented receivers. Like, what what I'm going to say, don't get me wrong, but – Last season, what C.D. Lamb could do, where he was – I mean, he's a generational-type talent, you know. And he was that one guy that I – one of the few guys I've seen here recently that, like, Iowa State just – they could not tackle that guy. And, uh, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but it doesn't seem – I don't, I don't think anybody could. They've got that <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think that they've got uh, the same kind of guy that is uh, that is like that. Um, I mean, I – and I think that that's where Iowa State's defense, like they're always going to be disciplined. Uh, you know, they're for the most part, they're always going to be in the right place, and uh, and they gang tackle, man. Like every time, every play. I mean, there's four or five hats around the football, and uh, and I think that that's something that bodes well for Iowa State and against a team like Oklahoma. 
Uh, and I, I'd be interested in your perspective too, just the the run game. What what's been the problem for them there? Because I I mean the statistics have been not not very good, not very Oklahoma like, I guess for in the last two games. So I'd be interested in what what you see in that. It's really interesting because I kind of feel like probably it's divided here as far as if it's the offensive line, is it the running backs? You look at last year's team, Kennedy Brooks, who I thought was the best of the three guys that they played regularly opts out. Trey Sermon transfers to Ohio state and Ramondre Stevenson is suspended for the first half of the season. So they're going way down the depth chart for a running back. And the guys that they're playing are certainly talented uh, with TJ Pledger and the freshman Seth McGowan. You can see that both of those guys are big play type backs but I, I don't know that either one of those guys at this point in their career is that every down between the tackle type of back. Uh, those guys are put in situations where they're having to make guys miss at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and they've done that to a degree. But I just don't think they're the kind of workhorse backs that pairs well with what Oklahoma is currently doing on the line of scrimmage. And through two games, even against Missouri State, the offensive line has not looked dominant. Now, there's a difference in being dominant and just being good enough to allow your running backs to have opportunities. And that's where I think the debate of, of where this offensive line is, they're certainly not dominant. I don't know how consistently they're giving the running backs good opportunities to run the football, but I think it's a fair criticism at this point to say that they've had a hard time establishing the run. And that's going to have a giant impact on Spencer Rattler in the passing game going forward, especially against a team like Iowa State, if they once again fail to do that. I think in the second half, I went back and looked at the Kansas State game on Saturday, and in the second half, I believe they had 12 design run plays total for a, for 25 yards. I mean, that's, that's not good enough against anybody, especially when you have a 21-point lead and you're trying to melt the clock. 12 carries for 25 yards against anybody in this conference is, is not going to win you football games. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's where, you know, you look at what Iowa State does and that would, I mean, that puts you in a position where Iowa State defensively is going to have, has a massive advantage in that sense because for one, Iowa State is pretty good at stopping the run, the run with just their defensive line. I mean, they've got a group of guys up there that are uh, are pretty dang good at, at being able to stonewall the, uh, you know, the rushing attack and, and they don't get moved back very much. Um and if you get into positions where it's going to be, you know, third and nine, third and 10, third and 12, uh, and you're letting Will McDonald and Jaquan Bailey on the edges and, you know, whoever else it is that's out there with those two pin their ears back and, uh, and go and try and get the quarterback. Uh, I mean, I, I know that I personally would not be a, want to be a quarterback that has to stand there with those two guys chasing after me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that'll be probably one of the, the more interesting um, in-game dynamics in my mind is just the how they're able to use that run um, to keep Iowa State from being able to just uh, go crazy in um, in attacking the in attacking the quarterback. I, I'm really interested to see what adjustments Lincoln Riley makes because I think if if you're going to credit Oklahoma with anything since Lincoln Riley got there, it's the fact that he's as creative offensively as anybody in football at all levels. I mean, the guy is is next level good. Um, I, there has been at times a criticism of maybe in-game adjustments, uh, but I think once they kind of evaluate an area where they're having trouble, they're pretty good at figuring out ways around that and pretty good at figuring out how to kind of put a Band-Aid over that and, and maybe not allowing the other team to exploit some weaknesses. So 
I expect Lincoln Riley's going to have something up his sleeve. I, I don't know exactly what that is, but you know, I think we, for the most part, have said the same thing about Iowa State. They're they're seemingly, at least from my perspective, pretty good about making adjustments. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what Matt Campbell said uh, on Tuesday when talking about um, about Spencer Rattler, and I think even talking about you know the mindset that he expects Oklahoma to come into the game with. I mean, there's a lot of people up here that are talking about oh, well, they're going to get an angry Oklahoma team and uh, after the, that game last week and all this stuff. And, I mean, p- people seem to be forgetting that last year when Iowa State went to Oklahoma, uh, they had just lost to Kansas State the week before as well. So uh, it's not like that's anything different from what it has been before. But uh, I think, you know, when you look at what Lincoln Riley has been able to do historically, especially with quarterbacks, uh, if there's anybody in the country that you want coaching a kid up after he, you know, had a, had a rough second half of a game where you end up losing the football game, it's probably Lincoln Riley. And, and that's just kind of what Matt Campbell said, where he's like, you know, the, the thing they have on their side is the fact that it got the best offensive coach in the country. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, I'm sure that they'll have some new wrinkles in play and uh, I'm sure that he will have tried to do something to figure out a way to, um, you know, better protect Spencer Rattler and hopefully open some things up in the, in the running game for him as well. Yeah, to me, all of that is is way more key than the the Spencer Rattler narrative. And certainly, there were there were a couple bad throws. I know the box score says three interceptions. The first one was a, a tip ball at the line of scrimmage, and and you know this as well as as anybody. Um, sometimes that can be a quarterback issue, but for the most part, that's just kind of one of those freak things that happens in football games. And and I don't yeah. know how much, unless that becomes a consistent issue, I don't know how much we just pass blame on the quarterback and and say that. You know, that's that it's a bad decision or a bad throw. I mean, it that sort of thing just happens from time to time. The other two, I think you can certainly put on his shoulders, and, and uh, it's not anything that I'm necessarily worried about. I think after that game, when I was reflecting back on what had happened, he's probably at the bottom of the list in terms of my concerns going forward. And, and again, a lot of that is establishing a run game and those tackles not giving defensive ends opportunities to to put Spencer Rattler in bad positions. So um, I think he's going to be fine. And and look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But uh, I think it's there are there are more issues around Spencer Rattler than just pinpointing all the issues on him. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly fair. And and yeah, I mean, I, when I was looking uh, at some stuff to when I was writing one of my stories earlier in the week and. And I read a story, I think, in the Oklahoman that said that the offensive line had been flagged eight times. Like, that's the yeah. kind of thing that to me is like, oh, wow, yeah, that's a that's a red flag. Like, that's something that you got to get uh, corrected and corrected quickly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. That if you're, if we're going to pin the, you know, any kind of blame on people, it's like, well, your offensive line can't be flagged eight times, even if some of them get, uh, offset or whatever because of Kansas State getting called for a penalty too. So I imagine some of that stuff will get cleaned up. Obviously, Oklahoma always has a good offensive line, and uh, you know they've got a good uh, got good people in there coaching them. And, and you always know that they're going to have talent as well. So I think yeah. it'll be a good yeah. game, man. I think I'm excited. I think it'll be a, a really a really fun one under the lights at uh, Jack Trice Stadium. Get a couple thousand fans in there, and um, you know go play a play a primetime football game on on national television. I think weird things can certainly happen under the lights in Ames, Iowa, without a doubt. We've seen it before, and and I would even add, you add those those black uniforms for Iowa State. Those things are sick. Yeah, man, haven't ever lost in them, so hopefully, uh, you know, that uh, that can continue, I guess, from our perspective. But, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. I I was thinking about this yesterday after they announced that they were wearing them. 
And uh, in the three times they've worn them, they beat uh, number six, West Virginia. Uh, they came back from down 20 to beat uh, Kansas State for the first time in 11 years. And uh, and then they beat Texas, uh, I think, who was number 18 in the country on a last-second field goal last, sec- uh, last season. So some good memories in those uniforms. And um, I'm sure that the, the folks up in that building are hoping to, to make one more on Saturday. Yeah, I think this is going to be an incredible matchup. I think we have a big-time football game ahead of us, and it's going to be fun watching it in prime time in Ames, Iowa. Jared, always appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Jared Stansberry with CycloneFanatic.com joining us on the Colby Daniels Podcast. Podcast is over.